She hasn't, but she has no idea what I'm speaking on. Either did I. I started this message four times this week. Ever done that? Ever going to write something? You get maybe a third of the way through thinking, no, that's not going the right way. Next one. By about Wednesday, I'm starting to panic because Sundays are coming and I've got nothing (laughs) to finish this up. Just before we get started, I just want to let you know that Class 101, can you just pull it down a little bit, Philip? Thanks. Class 101, 30th of August is where it is. So if you're visiting today, welcome. Some of those returning visitors, glad to see you. I'd encourage you to just pick out your outline now because we're going to wrap up the series we've been in for the last eight weeks. We've been recently looking at God's amazing grace, which we sung about today. Thanks so much, by the way, you guys, for the awesome enthusiasm that you show for the effort that you put in and practicing and honoring God with the gifts that he's given you. Thank you for doing your part. It, it's wonderful. You know what? I just don't want again. I want to be grateful to them. Let's give them a hand. Thanks, guys. Good job. Good job, guys. We're going to conclude this series by having communion. But before we want to take communion, I just want to review a few benefits of this grace we've been talking about. Now, the Bible says on your outline that we were saved by grace. This is the only way you and I are ever going to get into heaven, is through the doorway of grace. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I certainly don't deserve it. You cannot write a check or use your visa to buy it. It's just by God's grace. Notice this verse. The Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith. And even that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. See, if I could work it, I could boast. See, look what I've done. It was up to me. No, no, no. It says, not of works, so no one can boast. So the Bible says we are simply saved by grace. Not only that, we've been forgiven by grace. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 43 that I forgive your sins for my own sake. Because I want to, is what he's saying there. Now, we don't deserve grace, but God says, I choose to forgive you. Then the Bible says we're sustained by grace. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, if you've got your Bible in verse 13, God is always working in you to give you Notice this, the will and the power to do what he's called you to do. So catch that. Even the desire to do God's will is given to you by a gift of God. So you can't even take credit for wanting to do the right thing. Anytime you have a desire to want to do God's will, that is God's Holy Spirit in your life, and you just happen to choose to respond. So God even gives you the desire to obey him. He says, actually, he says, I'll take out your heart's cold, stony heart, and I'll put within you a heart of flesh. Warm. And I, notice this, I will cause you to want to walk in my ways. Wow. That's amazing. All by the grace of God. So he gives us the power and the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. That's by his grace. That's another little aspect of this amazing diamond called grace. The Bible then teaches that we're also healed by grace. He heals our broken hearts. And he binds up our wounds. We looked at that in week number three. The Bible says that we are liberated by grace. 
We don't have to live under rules and regulations and ritual and all that rubbish. No, we don't. That's legalism. We are liberated. In fact, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Oh, that's nice. Liberty. Man, that's fantastic. So, we are liberated by grace. It says, come to me also. If you're tired and weary, and I'll give you rest. It's not just a bunch of chores to do, but rest in him. The Bible says we are given talents by grace. He didn't earn them. God gave them to you, but you were good stewards of what God gave you. And you've developed that for the benefit of his kingdom. Well done, good and faithful stewards. Friends, well done. So we give them talents by grace. God has given each of the ability to do something well and to use it for him. What has he given you that he wants you to use for him? Scripture tells in Romans 12, God uses us by his grace. By his grace we get to be used. What a privilege. But the king of the universe, the author, the architect of the universe chooses to use us. And we're kept saved by grace. If you had to earn your salvation, then the moment you stop working, you lose it. Follow logic. But since it's all by grace, it's on the basis of what Jesus did. And by the way, forwards, he did it all, the whole lot. That's like he said on the cross. He said those beautiful words. It is finished. It's finished. It's paid in full. And he keeps us saved by his grace. Jude 1.24 says, he's able to keep you from falling. Wow. You don't even have to keep yourself saved. His Holy Spirit is working in you in his providential plan, which is gargantuan. And for our pusillanimous brains, it's tough to understand sometimes. And you are transformed by His grace. The Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then we're matured by His grace. The scripture says this in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace, grow in grace, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's His desire, that you would grow in grace. So the bottom line is really this. It is all by grace. Everything that God does in you and through you, He does by His grace. You see, because you and I wouldn't even live our lives if it weren't through God's grace. So that's what we've looked at. But it will be a tragedy if we go through this entire eight weeks. And some of you have never received God's grace. You've never really opened up your life to receiving the grace of God. So as we conclude this series, I want to ask again, how do I get it? How do we receive the grace of God? And the Bible says three simple words, by trusting Christ. That's how you get it, by trusting Christ. God made it so simple that nobody could ever say, that's too hard to understand. By trusting Christ. doesn't matter whether you're in Uganda or Africa or Timbuktu, which also happens to be there, but let's choose another place, Russia. It doesn't matter. It is so simple. Don't let anybody complicate it. Man complicates it. See, there's a very strange relationship. We tend to complicate things, and God tends to simplify things. How do I receive it? By trusting Christ. That's as simple as that. The Bible says it in John 1, 17. The law 
was given through Moses, actually, and through some angels. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So where does grace and truth come from? Jesus Christ. Grace, all of what we've talked about, is wrapped up in a person, Jesus Christ. He is the source. Grace and truth come through him and him alone. That's only where it comes from. Nobody else died for you. Nobody. He is the source. And if you don't get it through Christ, you don't get it. The sole supplier of grace in the universe is Jesus Christ. You do not get grace through religion. So please hear that. Never go looking for grace in religion. All rules, all rituals. But you get it through relationship in who? Through who? Jesus and him alone. Exclusively. Now we rejoice, the Bible says here, in our wonderful new relationship. This is a new relationship. Gone are the rules, gone are the rituals, but this is a new relationship with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done by dying for our sins and making us friends of God. Friends now. So that's what you call having friends in high places. <laughs> the ultimate. You become a friend of God. Now, you may want to circle in that verse relationship because that's how we get that grace. We need to live through a relationship. By enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. Also, you may want to underline dying for our sins. And that's what we're going to look at as we take communion. It says that this grace came to us of, because of what Jesus has done, dying for our sins. Now, grace is free and all you have to do is accept it. And it's free to you, but it is not cheap. Jesus died on the cross to pay for it. And Jesus wants us to remember his sacrifice that he made so that we can experience the grace of God. So he gave us a reminder. He created a symbol. So those who are going to serve the Lord's Supper, if you can come forward now and distribute the emblems, that would be great. The Bible says that communion is a symbol of what Jesus did so we can have his grace. And Jesus' death on the cross is so significant that it has been celebrated and commemorated for 2,000 years all around the world. So when Jesus died on the cross, he did three things for you and for me. Firstly, he paid for and saved us from the penalty of sin. The theological word for that is justification. And that means just as if I'd never sinned. You can explain that to your kids, Claire. Just as if I'd never sinned. And that's in the past. He did that on the cross. It was paid for in the past on the cross. The whole of the Old Testament looked forward to the cross and we look back to what happened to that cross. as a pivotal moment in history of the universe. The angels looked on in absolute awe of what was happening. It was the hinge of history. This means that he paid for my sin and it's already been taken care of. The bill is paid. That's grace. 
And one day, you and I are going to stand before God, and it will be very obvious, especially in my life, that I blew it. I absolutely screwed up. I didn't. So did you. I sinned. You sinned. And somebody has to pay for those sins, either you or somebody else. And Jesus paid the penalty for sin so that I can be forgiven. Secondly, he saved us from being mastered by the power of sin. And this theological word for that is sanctification. And the longer we are a Christian, the more mature we are, the more we have sin mastered. We sin less and less. That is true as we mature. We're not so easily beguiled by the traps and the subtleties of the enemy. And we're, ha I ain't going there. I ain't looking there. I am not clicking that. No way. No way. I'm not stupid. And you get a bit sharper. Because, see, choices, you're free to make your choice, but you're not free to choose the consequences of your choices. Every choice you have, make, has a consequence. But Jesus died to save us from the power of sin. And that's right now, between now and when we get to heaven, we are being sanctified. We're to live a sanctified life. And Jesus gives us the power through the Holy Spirit. Remember, he gives us the the desire to do the right thing and then the power to follow through with it. He gives us both, again, by his grace. And that's an ongoing process called sanctification whilst on earth. And he gives us the power to get over the habits that you know and I know are wrong. You know the way that you fight with your wife. The things that you say that are wrong. And you know because you, you do a similar pattern. They're the habits. What about the hurts? He gives us the power to get over those hurts. And the hang-ups that come into our lives. He gives us the power by His Spirit, by His grace. Those things that mess us up. And then thirdly, this is the third part of salvation I'm looking forward to. This is the future part. When we're delivered from the presence of sin. When we're in heaven. Because the Bible says there's no sin, no sickness, no suffering in heaven. Thank you, sir. Can you just park that over there somewhere? No sin, no sickness, no heaven. And that is, the, the theological term is glorification. And that is in the future days to come. That's ahead of us. It's way in the future, that is. And one day we're going to be in heaven. There isn't going to be any sin there because of the cross. Because it's guaranteed. And there's a lots of mystery about taking communion. Because each of us today come from different backgrounds. Some from Buddhist backgrounds, some from atheistic backgrounds, some from Anglican, some from Catholic, some from no background. And the question is often, when we come to communion, what should my attitude be when I take the Lord's Supper? What should it be when I take this piece of bread and this juice? How should I feel when I look backwards to remember what he did? Should I feel guilty? When I take communion, because when I remembering all of my sins that I've committed, should I feel guilty that I sent him to the cross for me? No. Communion is not to make you feel guilty. Communion says, remember, Jesus has already paid for all your wrongdoings. He's already done that. Thank God. So you don't have to feel any guilt anymore. That's grace. Should I feel grief and morose and sad? 
funeral. As I remember the death of Christ, should I feel sad? Should I feel grief as I take communion? Can I gently suggest to you, it's a good Jewish answer, yes and no. (laughs) Yes, because of the incredible blessing of what he did for me, but no, because he didn't stay dead. Three days later, they put him in, you know, they put him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose and he transformed the entire world. The Romans didn't know what to do. So much so, there was a hundred thousand Christians there in short order. It transformed the political landscape, the religious landscape, and this was an anathema for the Jews. Hundred thousand Christians, boom, just arrived from nowhere. What happened? Something happened. He didn't stay dead, that's what happened. So we don't serve a dead saviour. So we don't have to grieve. So we don't have to feel guilt. We don't have to feel grief. But can I suggest to you today that we should feel a great sense of gratitude. When I take these two elements that symbolise, see Jesus said on the bread of life, he wasn't a loaf, this is a symbol. I should be thinking how amazing that God loves me so much that his body will be broken and his blood will be spilt for me. This is how much. How could God love me this much? I am so grateful. Most of you know John 3.16, but do you know 1 John 3.16? And this is how we know what love is. This is how we know that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Nobody will show you greater love than this. And for that, we should be grateful. Communion, the Lord's Supper is a symbol. It is not for everyone. It's only for believers. It's for those who have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ that God offers. But you know what, friends? Some of you in this room today may not be believers, but you have the opportunity to be a believer, to become a believer right now. There's nothing that stops you. There are no rules, no rituals or regulations. But when we take these symbols of bread and juice, as we remember what they symbolize, in your mind say, Lord, by taking this today, I believe that Jesus died for my sin, and I accept that gift today with a grateful heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we take this communion and we receive these elements, we remember what you have done for us. We're so grateful. We thank you for your love for us. And Lord, if there are some here today, which you know intimately, who have never received your grace, may they in this very act receive you. And as shortly we take this bread and juice, in faith they are going to be saying, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Forgive me for my sin. And I turn to you and I receive your grace today. In your name we pray. Amen. Now on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took 
the bread. And he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So why don't we take this bread right now and remember Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your death. Thank you, Father, for your blood, which represents the unspeakable sacrifice that you made for us. We take it with reverence and gratefulness. Let's drink together. just done is remembering that Jesus paid the penalty for what we should have taken. He died in your place. The Bible says this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, you are familiar with the generosity of Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away in one stroke. He became poor that we might become rich. God's grace is rich and inconceivable. So in the light of that, I want you to take a listen to this song. And just be seated. You don't have to sing it, but note the words.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's put our hands together. Let's put our hands together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, we just applaud your name today, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, team. That's awesome. Awesome. That's what we're singing about. That's what we're excited about. In light of what Jesus has done, let me ask you, how many of you are parents? Okay. What would you think about, picture, feel? Feel the emotion behind a dad that says something like you. How would you be feeling if he said, so I beg of you, do not. I'll say it again. So I beg of you, do not, as a dad or mum, thinking about their teenage daughter or son. Can you feel there's an intensity there? Can you feel it? In the light of that, in light of what Jesus Christ has done, how should we respond? Here's the verse. So we beg of you. Hear the urgency in Paul's voice. Do not let the grace you receive from God be for nothing. Don't blow it off. Don't take it too casually. Figure it out. Don't be high or cold or lukewarm. Get on it. Do not, I beg of you, do not let the grace of God you receive be for nothing. This is the pearl of great price. We sung about it, I'll give it all for this. What do I owe Jesus Christ? In light of this, I owe him the rest of my life. I am all that I've got. I owe him the past, I owe him the present, and I owe him, I owe him the future. I owe him everything. Because without his grace, I didn't even breathe. My next heartbeat is in his hand. And as we conclude this series on grace, I want to give you three very practical ways that you cannot blow off the grace of God, but honor him with gratitude. Three practical ways that flow straight from the word of God. For my gratitude, that I can show my gratitude for making my life count is one of the ways. I can show my gratitude for God's grace by making my life count. First Corinthians six twenty says this: Don't you see that you can't keep on living however you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for? So let people see God in you and through your your body. That means the way you act. You can't understand the grace of God and keep on living the way you have always done. If you do that, I truly question the depth of the seed. You cannot do that. You cannot keep on just living any way that you want, ignoring his commands, or keeping wasting your time on trivia. Trivial pursuit. I did a whole series on trivial pursuit. You can't understand the grace of God and keep on spending money frivolously on stupid things that end up getting chucked out in the inorganic rubbish. You can't do that anymore. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. An extremely expensive price because of the cross, because of what we just celebrated. And remembered, you were spared for a purpose. See, often you'll find somebody who's gone through a near-death experience says, whoa, I feel I've been spared. Now they've got a new lease on life. 
I'm going to be far more intentional. I'm not going to get sidetracked by the rubbish I was chasing before. I'm focusing on the most important things. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so that you can go on just living in your way that you want to. He made you for a purpose. You were created and designed with a purpose in mind. When an architect designs a building, he has a complete idea of what that's used to be used for. He didn't just throw a whole bunch of planks and nails and stuff together. He has a clear purpose in mind. He redeemed you for a purpose. He died for you in your purpose, and he wants you to fulfill it. So, First Peter tells us this, each one of you, that's you and you and me and you, each one of you should use whatever gift, and everybody's got a gift, nobody has no gift, you have a gift. Use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others. Faithful. Then if you do that, if you do that, you are faithfully administering the gifts of God. You're being faithful with that gift. You're not misappropriating the boss's assets. Then you are faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, because all of us have got different gifts. So, what does this mean? It means the abilities and the talents and the passions that you, God's Spirit has prompted you on your heart about in days gone by. And the opportunities and the education that you have been blessed with and the freedoms that we have in this country and the relationships and all the things that you have as a blessing in your life were not given to you just to squander and to feather your poofy pillow. That's not the purpose of them. These things were given to you for a purpose right where you work right now. God expects you to use those gifts for his purposes. Question. Let's just stop right there. God expects you to use those gifts for his purpose. Are you using your gifts for his purposes, or is it 99.9% on your purposes? If you're a businessman, perhaps God's given you the ability to make money. Great. Are you using that just for your own purposes? Or are you using it to extend the kingdom of God? So he gave you that gift. So if we, if we just took the gift as a pie, how much of that gift is being used to extend God's purpose? Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's love, care, and compassion. It doesn't matter what it is. One is not better than the other. What matters is whatever you have been given, whether it's big or small, that you use it faithfully because you are responsible to your master for what he gave you, not what he gave her. It's what he gave you. Whatever you have in your hand, you are responsible to deal with it as a good steward. So he, God expects us to use these gifts for his purposes, and he has shown you his grace. God doesn't, God's just saying this, don't waste that. Don't waste your life. That gift I gave you. Christ died for you to redeem you, to plug you into his kingdom. And if he died for you, don't waste that life. Make your life count for his purposes. Because that's all that's going to matter at the end of the day. Number two. The second way you can practically honor God and recognize that um, the gift is given you gratefully is to become, let me be clear about this, a generous person. 
You want to write that down. The Bible says this, you, that's me and you, are familiar with the generosity of Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away in one stroke and became poor as we, and we became rich. We got the inheritance through him. So if you want to gauge how much understanding you have of grace, if you want to how much measure how much you're living by grace, if you want to get a firm grip on how grateful for grace you are, look at your giving. That will tell you brass tacks. Jesus even noted the woman who gave a mite. Everybody can give something. Nobody's off the hook. Even the widow who had not a cracker. Jesus noticed that. I noticed that. I noticed that. He noticed that. I think, well, well, maybe when I get to this level, then I'll do something. No, 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 no. That's not quite where Jesus is after. It's not the amount you give. It's the attitude in your heart. But everybody can give something. Look at this. Each one of you should give what you choose. Excuse me, let me get it right. Each one of you should give what he has decided to give. Implication. You have decided. Not reluctantly. Not feel because somebody's going to crowbar up your back. That's not what he's talking about. Or under compulsion. And then I love this. This is a fact. God loves a cheerful giver. Not a begrudging one. And God is able to make all grace, circle all grace, abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, I can honest to God tell you before you here today, God has supplied all my needs, no matter whether I had a big job, a job that paid well, or a job that didn't pay a brass razzoo. God has always provided for our family's needs. Always. No exception. Circle all the alls in that verse. All grace, all things, all times, having all that you need. That is true. God's always provided my needs. Thank God he hasn't provided them for my greeds. That you will be abound in every good work. And those promises relate to the person who becomes like Christ. Like Christ. That's what I want to be. What was Christ like? Let me tell you, in case we missed this one, he was a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. The more you become like Jesus, the more freely you'll do three things. Love and serve and give. You know why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. How many want to become more like Jesus? Here they are. Love, serve, and give. Check it out. Read the Bible. That's exactly what he did. The more you become like Jesus, the more freely you will love, serve, and give. Christ, in fact, we could, we could sum up the Christian life in three words. Love, serve, and give. That's what he did. Love, serve. Nothing is greater proof that you're growing in the grace than when you are loving, than when you are gracious to people. Not a hard, you know, and generous to other people in terms of your time as well and to God. Now, if you're uptight, when I or somebody else, doesn't matter, I'm getting after the principle here. When somebody else talks about giving and you, or you get defensive or you get stingy, it means the true grace of God hasn't reached deep into your heart and it's not growing. See, you can either go, 
Wherever you are, it doesn't matter. Let's put a number line. Woof, here we are. Here we are. Here you are there as a measure. You're either going this way or you're going that way. You're getting stingier or you're getting more generous. Where you are is between you and God. All I'm encouraging you, family, is wherever you are, go that direction. That direction is not healthy. There's a problem if you're going in that direction. If you're grasping and insecure, the problem is not there. The problem is in here. Because if you have him, he'll take care of all your needs. And that's a promise. We'll get to that in a second. Let me draw that out a little bit more in a second. Here's a question. Are you going to trust the God who gave his life for you, who promises eternity with him in heaven? Are you going to do that? If you are, stay with me. If you can trust him enough for salvation, can't you trust him enough for your finance, for your life, for the direction in your life? Because some of you today feel trapped. And it's the love of money that's got you in its grip and you're paralyzed. And you've gotten yourself into some sticky wicket. Debt-driven life is wrong. Purpose-driven life is important. The truth is, you and I don't really own a thing. God will loan you what you have got for 60, 70, 80 years. And then it's going to go to somebody else for them to manage for a while. It's all his in the first place. Which made me remind me, it was when my daughter was about five years old. She said, Daddy, I'd like to buy you a birthday present, but I haven't got any money. <laughs> she said, sweetie, here's five bucks. So with that, her face lit up, and she roared off. Yeah. Where did the money come from in the first place? I was delighted when I got the gift. <laughs> my face lit up, and my daughter was delighted. It was the intent. God does that with us. He gives it all to us in the first place. Now he says, be generous. Why? Because he wants you to become like him, going in this direction. He doesn't want you. You don't want your children to have a stingy heart. Never. That would be unthinkable, an anathema. The heart says... I'm so grateful, and I want to give in every way. The Bible says this in Romans 8.32. Since God loved us enough to give us his own son, won't he love us enough to take care of every one of our needs? Romans 8.32. That's kind of logical. The fact is, I can say I love God. I can sing I love God. But my, it, do my wallet and my calendar line up with those statements, those propositions? That can show sometimes a bit of a difference. So God wants me to become generous like him. He wants me to make my life count. Those are two ways I can show gratitude. And the third and the final one is this, by sharing the good news of grace. Acts 20 verse 24. The most important thing, boy, these are strong superlatives is that I complete my mission. Finish the race, Desmond. That's what he's saying. The most important thing is I complete it. The work that the Lord Jesus gave to me. What was that? To tell people the good news about Jesus Christ and God's grace. Notice, it does not say that. Have a look at that verse carefully. It doesn't say that the most important thing in life is to get married. It doesn't say that. 
does not say that. To have children doesn't say that either. To fund your retirement for your poofy pillow or your cruisy cruise doesn't say that. To travel and have lots of fun doesn't say that that's the most important purpose of your life. Doesn't say that the purpose of your life, the most important thing is to become famous or pay off the house. Doesn't say that. Jesus didn't in your house. He says the most important thing in life is to fulfill your mission that God gave you, that he designed you for, in his foreknowledge. Big subject. So if Jesus died on the cross, if he did die on the cross, and he showed his grace to you so that you could fulfill your mission, then that's a, and if you don't do it, that's a massive eternal waste. Part of that mission, just part of it, not all of it, is to tell other people the good news of God's grace. So God put you on your earth for a reason. And part of it, once you step across the line, is to tell other people. You know, you know today Christ because somebody bothered to tell you. Question again about time. It gets quiet. Who are you going to tell? Maybe this week. Seriously, this week. Who are you going to tell? If somebody died for you, wouldn't you want to know about it? Of course. You have a very cold and callous heart. We would if we didn't. But Jesus died for every single person in Auckland and the world. And most people are totally unaware of that. That Jesus Christ died for them and his grace is available both in the past and the present and in the future. Totally oblivious to that fact. And if that person lives and dies without ever knowing that their sins are forgiven and there's a place and a purpose for living, then for that person, Jesus Christ's death is a waste. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but he wants it all to come to know to the knowledge of the Lord, to come to repentance. That means changing their mind. So God wants everybody in his family, everybody needs Jesus. And because God cares and we want to be like him, we must care. If we say we want to be like Jesus, Jesus cared so much that he, gave, that he came and was on the cross. Do we care enough to tell people about that? It will be a tragic cosmic of cosmic proportions not to. And one of the ways that we show gratitude for our own salvation, one of the clear ways you can do tomorrow, is by telling somebody, sharing the good news with other people to tell them. Because people are dying without the grace of God. Let me ask the question in a different way. Is anybody in heaven because of you? Because you took the time to go through the messy thing called life with them, through the difficult periods of their life, and share Jesus with them. So again, if you were to die tonight, no more chances. This is it. Would anybody be in heaven because of you? I don't know about you, but that piques my focus on making sure in every interaction I possibly can, I point people to Jesus. doesn't mean I shove it down their throat. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, I stand up for him and what he's done. On Sunday mornings, like today, we provide services that you can bring your friends, your relatives, your co-workers to. Those that you're concerned that they go to heaven. 
so they can hear the greatest news in the world. Nothing. I don't care about salary rises. I don't care about progression powers and all that stuff. That means nothing. So they can hear the greatest news. This is the best news in the world. If you can think of anybody that you can share that with, that's one step for you perhaps, that you could start to pray that God would open your heart to see the faces of people around you who are desperate for the good news. Those people you see at work, don't think their life is all, uh, it's, uh, it's easy. It isn't. Some of them are going through sheer hell. Start with their marriages. Listen carefully to the pain that's going on in their marriages and with their children. They're running from fad to therapies, to new age things, to psychics, all sorts of stupid things, which will never help. In fact, it'll take them exactly the opposite direction to where they need to go. Stop that slide. Stand up and tell them why. Tell them, you think that's good? I've got something way better. We have the greatest news in the world, and the way we show our gratitude for the grace of God is by making our own lives count for the kingdom. By living a life of extravagant generosity. My personal goal is where I am. doesn't matter where I am, but where I'm on. What you know the principle is where I'm here now. I want to go that way every year until I step off terra firma. Every year. Deliberately. On purpose. I'm actively looking for ways to grow that in every way I can right now. Make your life count. Live a life of extravagant generosity. And tell as many people as you can. Because some of those people will come into your life and they'll be gone. And the opportunity will be lost. Would you bow with me and pray? We've covered a lot of material today, but I, I know as I was preparing this message, you, may, you, like me, may need to confess your ingratitude to God today. You may need to say, Jesus, please forgive me for taking your grace for granted and being lackadaisical, being very cavalier about your magnanimous gift. You may need to confess a fear. Father, I've been afraid to make my life count for you. Or Father, I've been afraid to use my abilities that you've given me in ministry. Or I've been afraid to give and to put you first in my finances. Well, to be honest, even at work, I've been so distracted with the stuff of work. I've, I've even been afraid to identify myself as a follower of you at work. Please forgive me for taking your grace for granted. This morning, I just invite you to pray this prayer and follow it with me. Father, I want to make my life count for you. I want to commit the rest of my life to using this life that you gave me in serving you and fulfilling the purpose you made me for. I want to fulfill my mission, Lord, which you've clearly written down. Father, I want to become a gen more generous person. I want to start giving back to you for all the gratitude in gratitude for all that you've done. And I'm going to trust you. 
in all of my areas, but especially in finance. Father, I want to be used to share your good news of your grace with others. But I want to be in heaven. And those people that you know, that you've put me across their paths. Help me to find at least one person in my life to invite them to hear your word. Now this morning, if as we took communion, you prayed a prayer and said, God, by taking this, I'm saying, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to receive your grace and your forgiveness. If you're accepting Christ into your life, please let me know about this by letting me know on your communication card later. Father, why don't you pray this? Father, thank you for loving me enough to die for me and to pay the penalty for my sin that I could never pay. I gratefully accept your amazing offer. I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I want you to come in my life and to save me and to lead me from here on out. In your precious and powerful name, all the people said, Amen. So today, if you made that commitment to Christ, or you recommitted your life to Christ, would you let me know about that? On the back of that communication card, and would everybody else put those communication cards in the offering buckets that will go along? And Father, I thank you for those who give freely, unbegrudgingly to you. I thank you that those that give here, and I thank you for those who give through automatic payment, Lord. You know every heart. But Lord, today, I pray that you would continue to bless them and they'd know and sense your blessing on their hearts, their houses, their homes, and their lives. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.